bow, I would say that it's something that I don't ever recommend people put their bows down. Um, you know, I had someone text me the other day. He was like, Hey, what do you use to store your bow in during the off season? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't like, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. store my bow. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about storing your bow? Like I hang it on the wall or I set it back there. Um, or I set them on the floor over here. I've got some on the floor over here that I'm like, I, I don't ever store them unless I'm flying somewhere or traveling. And in that case, I use an SKB case because um, they're built freaking crazy tough and here in the US. But, you know, outside of that, I don't I don't stop shooting like there's there might be a week that I don't shoot just because I'm like, OK, like I need to take a break from this. I'm getting you know, either frustrated or I'm, I'm, it's too routine and I'm not really learning anything from my shooting experiences. So I'm going to take a little bit of a break, but like the longest break I take is like a week. All right. We will get into it here. Welcome to another episode of the wild strength podcast, where we talk about all things wild, all things strength and everything in between today. My guest is Jonathan or otherwise known as red beard outdoors. Um, we talked a little bit about a walk-up song before this, um, if you listen regularly, you know I like to kick it off with a little bit of energy, get the vibe going before we get the conversation going. Um, and he chose Motto by NF. So we're going to play a couple seconds of that and we'll hop into it. I could write a record for the radio songs. Do a bunch of features that my label would love. Do a bunch of features that I don't even like just to build up the hype. Yeah. I could sell my house and move out to LA. Getting that's one of those like slow build songs that the more it gets into it, it's like, all right, that's a good one. And it starts off really good too. I really love those slow build songs. Well, yeah, we, like I said, we spent a lot of time trying to come up with a song. I always say, I fear if somebody's going to ask me that question, I have no idea how to answer it. So I empathize with him. Um, but yes, I met Jonathan at the Total Archery Challenge in San Antonio this year, earlier this year. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, first interaction I've ever had with them. Uh, I had listened to a couple of his podcasts before that. Um, and then shortly after that, he had me on his podcast, which was first podcast I was ever on. Um, and I had kind of considered starting a podcast before that, but just really didn't know where I wanted to go with it, what I wanted to do. Um, but nonetheless, he was like, you should do it. You would be, you would be great at it. Um, and he's been a huge help with this too. So I owe a lot to him for that. And I'm glad that he's on, but I'll let you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself and, uh, we'll get into it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, guys, if you're going to come on Whitney's podcast, if you get invited, uh, make sure you pick out a song ahead of time. Cause I think I just spent like 10 minutes trying to find a song that, that would work. And, uh, but no, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, it's funny. The, the first interaction we had, um, I remember it because I, I didn't know who you were. You were just over at the PSE booth talking with Cade. And um, and I just shook your hand. And I was like, hey, you know, how's it going? And you made some comment like, well, I just feel like I'm a nobody or something like that. Some small something or another. You you diminished yourself a little bit. And I was like, it's like you're here. You're in, you're having a blast attack. Like you're somebody. Yeah. Right. And um, and so that's just kind of how I deal with things, because I know. Me personally, like I've, I've been in plenty of situations and I still am where I'm introducing myself to people constantly, whether that be big names in the industry. I put my foot in my mouth a couple of times where it wasn't talking bad on anyone, but not knowing who someone was that I was talking to. And uh, and so I, I've been there. I totally get it. And, uh, you know, just a brief introduction of who I am. I'm 
just a dad of five kids out here in Utah, originally from North Carolina. Uh, grew up around the military, never been in the military, uh, but grew up around it. And all of my family has served pretty much and uh, love that. I guess that that lifestyle of service. Um, I've seen, you know, what it does to families and, and the sacrifice that people give uh, the spouses and families that stay at home and those that go across, you know, overseas uh, and serve on a regular basis. So I'm super appreciative of that. Uh, came out to Utah, uh, served an LDS mission down in Mexico for two years. For those that don't know what LDS is, Mormon is the more common term, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I went down to Mexico as a white boy that didn't know any Spanish and uh, came back burnt to a crisp, fluent in Spanish and uh, loving the Mexican culture. And uh, now I'm just, you know, again, dad of five, love the outdoors, love hunting, love archery, um, getting back into rifle a little bit here and uh, just constantly trying to get better. Yeah, I think, uh, and yeah, like I said, the first interaction we had, I, I, yeah, said something along the lines of I'm a nobody, like I'm not important. And, um, but yeah, I think it's when you're around all of these big name people, I think instinctually you're just kind of like, mm, <laughs> I'm not important here. But like you said, and we've talked about before, I think even on uh, your podcast when I was on, like everybody has something to offer. And I like, I appreciate that you brought that kind of mindset. Um, yeah, we, I think last time you said, if you said you're from North Carolina, you moved to Utah, you spent time in Mexico is your family being in the military. Is that what brought you to Utah? Did you go out there yourself? Yeah. So I got to Utah because, uh, I knew I wanted to serve a mission and as a L member of the LDS church, hmm. it's not, it's not required. I think a lot of people think that it's not a required service that you have to do, but I did want to serve a mission. Um, I was told by my grandpa who retired as a Lieutenant Colonel out of Fort Bragg. He said, don't go in as an enlisted guy. He's like, you've got too much brains for that. And uh, he's like, go in as a, as a, as an officer, if you're going to go in. And I said, okay. So I kind of looked at that path and then I was like, well, I want to serve a mission so I can go to a, hopefully a different country if not at least a different state in the United States and learn a different culture and, mm -hmm. and serve the people without having any other obligations. You don't necessarily have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about, you know, all the normal day-to-day -day stuff, school jobs, things like that. Your one job is literally to go out and serve people 24 seven. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's an amazing opportunity that I recommend for anyone who has a chance to go on a mission trip. But I was there for two years. <clears throat> um, and then when I came back, uh, I went to Utah because I didn't, I didn't have any family here. I actually didn't have any family out West of the Mississippi. I've been all up and down the East coast. I had family in New Jersey, Kentucky. Uh, you know, now my dad lives in Florida, just all up and down the East coast, but I, I'd never been out West. And so I just wanted to come out West and see what it was about. Um, I went to BYU university for a year. And then uh, ended up transferring to the University of Utah. And, uh, and from there, um, just ended up falling in love with, with Utah, with its public lands, with everything it's got to offer, and uh, never moved back east. Yeah, I know last time you mentioned 
when you, I think it was when you finished college, you were deciding, do I go back to North Carolina or do I stay here? And I think mm-hmm. you and your wife were like, we need to make this decision now. Um, and you were originally thinking, I, I think you had said pursuing a career in physical therapy or something along those lines. And then you had mentioned you discovered the great outdoors in Utah. And that was when you kind of made the decision to stay. And I also know you're kind of an adult onset hunter, I guess is the phrase that people would use. Did you discover like the mountains and hunting at the same time? Or was it you mm-hmm. kind of had an appreciation for the outdoors, then maybe a year or two later you got into hunting? How did that kind of work? Yeah, so I grew up in the outdoors and it's very different out east. There's a lot of woods, a lot of different, different ways of spending time outdoors. Um, and it's not as scenic where I grew up. Now I know the Appalachian mountains are, are beautiful, uh, mm-hmm. especially in the fall, but where I grew up, it was a lot of just flat land, um, in kind of the sand Hills of North Carolina. And so, I mean, I, you know, I got my Eagle scout. I was always into the outdoors, did a lot of fishing, just hunting out East for me, the way I was introduced to it was not the way that I envisioned hunting. It was, um, and this wasn't with family. This was a, a close family friend. He took me out in a elevated box blind that had three different shooting lanes, basically, uh, that had been cut down. And at the end of each one had some kind of food source, whether it was a mineral block, uh, corn feed, and then a feeder on another one. And I was just like, this isn't, this isn't hunting for me. And for some people, that's how they do it. That's how they've grown up. Nothing mm-hmm. against it, but it just didn't do it for me. And then uh, none of my family was into archery. So uh, I guess short of what you do at scout camp with the little small bows and you shoot at a target, but uh, no one was into archery hunting and and getting really into the equipment. And so when I came out West, um, I already already had a, a passion for the outdoors, but I did need some help getting into the mountains because they were, uh, I mean, we, we did a lot of hiking, but I didn't really, do more than just norm the normal hikes around, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kid friendly hikes for our kids or uh, maybe a little bit more intense just when I would go with my wife. Um, but mainly trail running trails is, is where we would go. And so I was kind of getting tired of this. I mean, it's a desert out here and I, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to get back home because, you know, I, I missed all the greenery that you see in North Carolina. I mean, you, there's so much history as well, which I know there's history here, but, you know, I grew up going to Civil War reenactments and everywhere you go, there's some kind of monument of something that happened. Uh, you know, it's just it was different. And so uh, a buddy of mine, um, I can't remember if I was helping him move something or or what, but uh, he he called up my wife. He needed my help with something. And so I go over to his house and I saw a bunch of euro mounts on the wall I was like, oh, he's a hunter. I said, okay, can I, you know, it's fall time. Are you hunting right now? And it's funny to think of, you know, about 10 years ago, I guess it was like eight, eight or nine years ago, just thinking of like, I didn't know any of this, any of the vernacular, any of the anything. And so I was just like, hey, are you hunting right now? I think it's hunting season, right? And he was <laughs> telling me the hunts he's got. And, and so he let me tag along with him. And that's when I saw a whole different side of, of the mountains and, uh, and, and that's really what got me into it. Yeah, I think very similar experience. Like I'm from Texas and same, you would go and sit a blind and 
not guaranteed every single time, like, but there's a feeder or something in front of you Mm -hmm. that they've seen deer show up regularly. So it's not guaranteed that there's going to be one there every single sit, but it was never the time, which, and I'm interested now. And and at some point I want to learn like true whitetail hunting where you're hunting public land. And I think I have so much more respect for that than for, yeah. yeah, what you mentioned when you're just sitting in a blind and you just like, if you sit there long enough, you know for a fact that something is going to show up. But I, I like the physical aspect of hunting out west where it's a chase at the end of the day. And your lack of success, and I think getting out there is successful anyways, right? Like every day spent in the woods chasing an animal is success in my mind. Um, but a lot of times when you're unsuccessful, it's due to lack of planning or like maybe you didn't go far enough or, or whatever. And at the end of the day, I feel like it's on you. It's no longer just this animal didn't show up. I feel like it's on you. And so I have like so much of a respect for that. So was the first out West in Utah, the first hunt you kind of ever went on, was it an elk hunt or did you start with something different? What did, what are your, what did your first kind of hunting experience out West look like? What? with me having a tag in my pocket or tagging along with with brent uh both yeah we can talk about both yeah so tagging along with him was mule deer uh was the first time we we went out for anything he wasn't huge into elk hunting um he just really and i i don't know if it's more of a opportunity hunt or um i mean he he runs a cpa firm at the time he wasn't running it because his dad was alive but uh, he was kind of management of it. And, uh, and so he doesn't have a lot of time. So it's definitely more, um, like weekends or like a, a morning hunt where we'd go up in the morning and zip back down if we didn't see anything, but yeah, it was mule deer. And then my first tag I had in my pocket was that next year, uh, was, was mule deer as well. Um, they're a little bit more, and I know over the counter elk is a thing, but, um, Mule deer are more, I guess, accessible. It's easier to, to find them. And, and okay. so, uh, for me, that was a good entry. It, there was still, I mean, every day I was putting on a handful of miles, um, even for an easy quote unquote, easy hunt. Um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, so my, my first, my first one was, um, was a mule deer buck and then it was, I guess the next year or no, it was after two or three years of hunting and I had tagged out. So I, I drew a tag or I didn't draw a tag the first year. That's what it was. So I didn't draw a tag the first year. Second year, I drew a tag, got one third year, I drew a tag, got one. And then I also, it was either the, the same within that same calendar year or the year after, I can't remember. Um, but I got a muzzleloader tag. Mm-hmm. for the mule deer and i got one then so i was like okay like they're not anything trophy they're not anything huge so i could have stepped it up that way and gotten to know the areas a little bit better and and gotten a more mature buck but i i had knocked down enough animals that i was like okay you know i kind of want more of a challenge um and brent had been nudging me about archery for a while because all of his brothers had kind of given up archery again for time constraints um and so i got into archery and my first archery was a, my first archery kill was a doe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so you, the first hunts that you started with mule deer hunts, were those rifle hunts? 
Yeah, yeah. So two two okay. rifle muleys, um, and then a let's see, two rifle muleys, and then the muzzleloader buck, and then an archery doe, and then the archery buck it's, after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you feel kind of frustrated transitioning to archery? Like, I feel like I since I started out bow hunting, like switching mm-hmm. to rifle hunting maybe and i'm making an assumption here maybe it's not but like might be a little i don't want to say easier because you still have to put in the work um but i'm I'm able to take more longer range shots so i have maybe a little bit more opportunity but i feel like going from rifle to archery to bow hunting like was there sort of any frustration was it more challenging like what talk about what that looked like so and again there's you know there's people out there that are going to be upset that i i killed some smaller bucks and that that's everyone to each his own um you know i for me it was i could have gone two ways i could either go down the route of i need to kill a more mature buck and that would add to the challenge Um, Mm -hmm. i think that's where to me anyway in the area that i live where there's so many mule deer that's more of that adds to the challenge of of rifle hunting is uh, finding a more mature buck mm-hmm, for sure that would add to the challenge or going into archery where you have to close the distance you have to play the wind you have to be quiet you know you have to not show your movement all of those things and so for me I was I was ready for a challenge so I guess I didn't really get frustrated I actually kind of went the opposite way where I dove down a rabbit hole where Again, nothing against rifle because you can make it more challenging, but I could still pick up my 308 that I haven't shot in, uh, it's probably a year and a half, two years maybe, that I haven't shot this thing. And I could still go punch out the target at two, 300 yards easy. And then yeah. with a few adjustments, I'd be good out to five, 600 yards, right? Um, and it's not a fancy rifle, it's just a Mossberg Patriot, uh, mm-hmm. just typical, you know base level rifle that you would get and i threw a scope on it and we're good to go so i feel like rifle is simple in that way um i know there's people that hand load and things like that i have no interest in that because there's explosions that are involved and i don't want to deal with i'm like i'm going to trust the factory to to load my ammo right and i'm just going to go with that uh but for me you know the the archery thing I, i i really went down a rabbit hole of figuring out like all just nerding out about the equipment. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and at the bow shop. So that's kind of where I, I don't know. I took it on as a challenge. I was excited about the challenge and, and uh, really got into it. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of a good perspective. And on the topic of yeah, a more mature buck or call it trophy hunting, whatever you want to call it. I had a good conversation with James from bow disciples and obviously he's been hunting all his life. So he's, freezer's full and I'm sure similar reasons for you like I got into hunting to put me in the freezer for him he's like I've been hunting like freezer's full so I am just going after a mature buck but he's like for anyone who's new to this like you're new to western hunting he's like you shouldn't be shamed for putting a doe down for putting a small buck down like we call it if it's brown it's down hunting Mm -hmm. um and so yeah ultimately getting out there and learning and even Bree um, she had just a cow tag this year and, and she was like, I need to experience what it's like to even get close enough with one to put one down with my bow. And I think, yeah, that added challenge of it for sure could be a huge change. And I respect is the word that comes to mind, right? Like you said, you could have just switched to just only hunting mature bucks. Um, but I do think, yeah, archery brings more of a, a challenge, both physically and mentally, 
Um, I think last time when I was on your podcast, we talked about like the mental component of archery and I kind of gave my perspective, like it's, it's been there for me in like hard times, but it's also like a really fun thing to do. And like, I feel like my bow just goes through life with me (laughs) and all of these phases. Like, how is that? Do you feel archery is similar for you or is it just one of those things? I like, I, I just get after it when it's hunting season. No, I mean, because you can shoot your bow in your garage, you know, yeah. and, and you can always constantly work on other things. It's like, and I guess technically you could dry fire your rifle. I mean, I, you know, you dry fire your pistol, hopefully, if you're carrying on a regular basis, that's something you can do. Uh, but it's not the same as archery, uh, where, you know, you're, I guess blank bailing is similar to dry firing because you're not really aiming with mm-hmm. a bow, you're working on your draw, uh, your anchor point, your your follow through with the pulling through your shot. Um, those are the kind of the things that you're working on in your garage, unless you've got some huge barn that you can shoot 20 yards. But, uh, you know, really that's, that's I don't know. I, I would say that it's something that I don't ever recommend people put their bows down. Um, you know, I had someone text me the other day. He was like, Hey, what do you use to store your bow in during the off season? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not trying to be mean, but I don't like, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. store my bow. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about storing your bow? Like I hang it on the wall or I set it back there. Um, or I set them on the floor over here. I've got some on the floor over here that I'm like, I, I don't ever store them unless I'm flying somewhere or traveling. And in that case, I use an SKB case. Um, cause they're built freaking crazy tough and here in the U S but you know, outside of that, I don't, I don't stop shooting. Like there's, there might be a week that I don't shoot just cause I'm like, okay, like I need to take a break from this. I'm getting, you know, either frustrated or I'm, I'm, it's too routine and I'm not really learning anything from my shooting experiences. So I'm going to take a little bit of a break, but like the longest break I take is like a week. And then I'm back out in my garage doing the same thing, 10 reps a day. Um, when I got started with archery, you know, I, I've been lifting weights my whole life and that has nothing to do with bow strength. Well, I take that back. It has limited to do with bow strength. Like mm-hmm. it, it helps, but it's not enough to where if you're a power lifter, you can just automatically pull back 70, 80, 90 pounds. You know, there, there was a guy, I think it was Eddie Hall who has won the strong, the world's strongest man couldn't pull back cam Haynes 90 pound bow but his son but cam Haynes' son could and he's like mm-hmm. a quarter to you know a fifth of the size of eddie hall and yeah. it's so it's just it's a different technique and you can try to muscle through it but like what i did to get started was and going back to that is that you know i'd lifted weights my whole life played sports and so i was like i walk into the store and they're like oh you should be able to pull back 70 pounds i was like I mean, okay. I don't, I mean, it sounds light, you know, like that doesn't yeah. sound like much. Not and, pounds. Yeah. And I could barely get it back. And so what I ended up doing was cause I, I ordered a bow. I wanted it a specific, um, color and I still have it. I'll never get rid of my first bow. I don't use it, but, um, it was, it was a Hoyt Axius, the 29 and a half inch. Um, and I wanted it in Kuyu Verde with black limbs. And they didn't, it was either one solid color bow or whatever. And so I wanted to order it. They're like, well, it's going to take a couple weeks. I said, that's fine, whatever. And, uh, and so what I did for the first week or the first couple weeks while I was waiting for my bows, I'd go to the bow shop 
and I would do 10 to 20 reps for whatever, however many days a week I could get to the bow shop with a 60 pound bow. Mm -hmm. And then I ordered my bow. I ordered my bow in 80 pounds because I was like, I wanted to get to that point. I don't have the longest draw length. I'm at 28, 28 and a half. And I wanted to get more speed. And so, you know, it comes in the 10 range, the 70 to 80. I was like, I'm going to get up to 70 pounds without hurting myself. Cause I could pull the 70 pounds back, but it wasn't safe. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to get to the 70 pounds before it gets here. And then when it gets here, I'm going to, I'm going to crank the, you know, the, the limb pockets out and get to as low as possible. So like, I think it was like 72 pounds or so. And I'm going to do that for a week and then I'm going to turn it up to 75 pounds. And then I'm going to do that for a week. And I did 20 reps a day when I got my bow at home, I did 20 reps a day every mm -hmm. single day with the proper technique. I was taking videos. I was sending the videos off to uh, one of the guys at the bow shop and also someone that I knew out West that I trusted his opinion. Um, they were giving me some pointers on techniques mm -hmm. and then I was able to get it up to the full. I think it ended up pulling like 82 or 83 pounds. And I, I bring that up because I don't want people to like, you don't have to pull that much weight. You really don't. You can kill an animal with a 60 pound bow. I wanted to get there because I wanted my trajectory to be more flat. And I mm -hmm. wanted to me be able to pick what I put on my arrow rather than my capabilities limiting mm -hmm. what I could put on my, on my arrow. Right. And so if I yeah. wanted to go heavy, I wanted to be okay going heavy. If I wanted to go light, I wanted to fly like a missile, just straight flat line laser. So like I wanted to have that capability. So I put myself through it to where now I'm not limited by my capabilities, but I also recommend people do it safely, right? Like, don't just, don't, don't scare the people beside you on the range. Cause you're like trying to get it back and you're like, you know, doing this yeah. and you know, the arrow falls off the rest and then you don't know how to let down because it just took you a minute to pull it back. Like don't do that. <laughs> so if you don't have a lot of time to put into it, then just start with a lower weight. You can pay a couple hundred bucks later and get a new set of limbs if you need to upgrade later. Um, but go through it, do it safely. And also longevity and you're into training. You know, mm -hmm. I've got enough knowledge. I'm not a PT, but I've got enough to know the difference between pain and sore. You don't want to be in pain. Being sore is good. Being in pain is not. And so doing proper technique, having people coach you through that. So your shoulders last you longer. So you, you can be shooting the 80 pounds when your Cam Haynes is age or <laughs> yeah. 70 or whatever, um, yeah. and not be destroyed. Uh, you know, those are, those are the kind of things you need to keep in mind when you get into archery, just cause Cam Haynes shoots 90 pounds. You don't need to walk into your bow shop thinking you need to shoot 90 pounds, like be open to coaching. Yeah, no, I'm glad you make that point too, because I think that, and granted, all things that Cam Haynes and Rogan and that whole group has done for archery, I do think that they have brought a lot of people into just hunting in general, but specifically archery. Um, but with that being said, these guys, and I've heard it in my own ears being in the bow shop or coming in, like, oh, I need the 90 pound bow that this guy is shooting. And like you said, yeah, maybe you can get to that point. That's okay. You don't have to get to that point, and that's also yeah. okay. Um, but also it's the repetition and the technique 
um, because I I shoot left handed, but I am right hand dominant, Weirdo. and with anything that I okay. do, I'm so much stronger on my right side. But I like before I moved out here to Colorado, um, I had a buddy who worked at a bow shop in Texas, and they had just gotten the new um, Bowtech Ibashaki in. Um, and he was like, come in, just shoot it, see how you like it. Like, I'm not looking for you to buy anything, but I just feel it out. Like I've heard good things about it. And I was like, sweet, I'll come in. And I go in forgetting to tell him that I'm a lefty and they only had it in a right-handed bow. And I was like, whatever, like, I'll just, I'll pull it back right-handed, not a problem. So I give him my specs, he sets it up for me and I cannot pull this bow back with my right hand. I'm like just under 60 pounds right now and I'm struggling <laughs> and it made no sense to, I mean, it makes sense. Like I know that with what my knowledge and my education and my background is, mm. but I think I just been shooting with my left hand for so long, knowing I'm right hand dominant that I was going to be able to, but like you said, it goes back to the technique. Um, and that's the same in, in lifting too, right? If you're doing a squat, bench press, whatever movement it is that you're doing, sometimes if you cannot get stronger in that movement, maybe you need to assess your technique in that movement improve your technique, become more efficient in your technique, and you're going to get stronger in that movement. Um, and so the two, in my mind, always go hand in hand, and I, and I love tying the two together. But yeah, like you said, it's getting the reps in, getting the technique down. And I often have a lot of women who come to me like, oh, how did you get your poundage up so high? Like what training program are you doing or whatever? And granted, I do have kind of a shoulder injury on my draw arm. So I do a lot of like rehab type exercises, like mobility, all of that, but that's for the injury. That's not for shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, while it does play into being able to shoot for a longer period of time, but I'm like, I shoot often and I increase my poundage as often as I can as well. Because if you just keep drawing back the same poundage every single time and you never bump it up, you're not going to get any stronger mm -hmm. in that movement. So like you said, exactly. you like one week you bumped it up, you shot there for a little bit, then you bumped it up a little bit more. And I think a lot of people, man or woman, like think that they're going to get stronger and be able to increase just by 10 pounds if they shoot a lot. But you kind of have to slowly implement those increases. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it, again, it's, I, I always say take ego out of it, which I think, and my experience at yeah. the bow shop, it, it seems that women are more coachable. Um, I, I don't have enough experience around like pistols and rifle training to know. I'm sure it's similar, but with archery, like women are okay saying, you know, I don't know something and, and yeah. accepting yeah. the coaching, um, or I can't pull X amount of weight. You know, women are okay with saying that for the most part and men aren't for some reason. And, and I, you know, I don't know how to get to people other than let them know, like, I don't give a crap about, I don't go around talking to people about my draw weight unless they ask me about it or it's brought up in conversation as to how, you know, how much do you pull or how's your arrow flying that fast, whatever. And, um, other than that, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's not a, it's not an ego thing for me. It's a, I, again, I don't want to be limited. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Like, I want to be able to shoot heavier if I want to. I want to be able to shoot lighter if I want to. Um, you know, and like one of my bows, um, the the Mach 30 by PSE, it's going to be mainly my, my blind and tree stand bow. And I almost contemplated getting a 70-pounder just because I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to be moving. I'm going to be seated. <clears throat> Luckily the cams are good enough, uh, smooth enough that like, I think it came in at like 78 pounds 
And mm-hmm. the first thing I did when I first got it, I got it set up. And the first drawback I did was, um, was sitting down. I wanted to be seated just to see how it felt. That's smart. And, uh, and it was fine. I mean, it was a little bit tougher than, you know, standing, but, uh, it, I mean, it was, it was fine. So I was like, okay, cool. We'll just leave it there. Um, so it just, it, it's all about your, your capabilities. What are you looking to do? Um, are you going to be hunting in brush? Are you going to be hunting in open country? Cause that's a key, a key thing too. Like, like I mentioned at the beginning, I wanted my arrow to fly with a more flat trajectory than an arch because there's a lot of brush around here, things like that. And, and total archery challenge too. I mean, you've experienced this. I, I've seen, I've seen some of your videos where you're like, crap, I didn't even see that branch. And, yeah. and, and that happens, you know, that, that, that happens that you don't think about where it's arcing, but um, all of those things play into the, into your hunting experience. So um, again, just choose what you want to go for. If you think you want to work up to 70 pounds, 80 pounds, train for it. Don't hurt yourself. It's not worth hurting yourself over. And if you don't have a lot of time to put a lot of reps in, then maybe stick with the 60 pound bow, you know, until you're able to, to, to bump it up. Cause again, your injury is not worth it. Your shoulders, you want to be able to keep them strong for long. And, um, and you can kill an animal with a 60 pound bow. It's not, you know, yeah. it's, it's okay. You don't have to be shooting the, the huge or the, or the higher draw draw weight. And I think too, a lot of that, which is all still on the topic of archery and hunting, but transition the conversation a little bit, it goes into, and Jesus is a huge rabbit hole that we could go down. Um, like the broadhead that you're using or the arrow weight that you're using. And so, and also knowing your weaknesses going into your hunt, right? Like I said, I'm, I'm drawing back 60. I, I feel comfortable shooting at a live animal, no further than 45, 50 yards. Not only is that just my accuracy at that yardage, but for how much I'm drawing back, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to penetrate as much as I would like right. to anywhere beyond that. Versus right. if you're pulling back 80, 90 pounds, you could probably put something down at 100 yards. I don't feel like, I actually, I don't feel, I, I know that I wouldn't be able to get the penetration that I want with what I'm drawing back. So I think yep. going into your hunt, knowing your weaknesses, knowing what you can and can't shoot at. Uh, but yeah, we're all kind of like, transition the conversation a little bit and i know you have like your red beard gear page and all of that how often do you tinker with all of these different things whether it is different broadheads or different arrow weights or or all that kind of stuff yeah it's something that i'm actually i'm i'm getting to the point where and i haven't been doing it for an extremely long amount of time but i'm getting to the point where there's a lot of similarities across the board with broadheads and so i'm figuring out for me um, kind of what I want to do and I'm going to end up sticking with that and maybe testing one new broadhead a year. But for the most part, like, I guess I'm realizing that my, the most I can do is like test it throughout the year flight wise, sharpen or, uh, how sharp it is and things like that. But I don't have enough opportunities yet to where I can say I'm going to definitely kill six animals this year so I can test out three or four different broadheads like mm-hmm. you know I usually have two different broadheads in my quiver a fixed head and a mechanical and I found the mechanical that I really like I found some backups that I could recommend to people um, but like for me I put down both of my animals this year and hopefully the third one um, if I don't use a rifle and I use my bow um, I'll put down another one with with the mechanical 
but the evolution broadhead which i'm going to be doing a build here soon with the glue ins because um you know this is another rabbit hole the four millimeter versus five millimeter arrow debate uh i like five millimeter arrows because of their componentry a lot better than the four millimeter but i like the i guess the capabilities of the four millimeter arrow and so with the glue in um from evolution broadheads or evolution outdoors it eliminates the problem of the componentry out front that could be weakened because the internal diameter of the arrow is, is thinner, which creates a thinner ability for componentry up front to be sturdy. And so the glue in is basically just the broadhead is attached to a pin that goes down the shaft of the arrow. So it's all one piece rather than multiple pieces that could possibly bend and break. Right. So, um, that's kind of what I'm aiming for this year, uh, but or this upcoming year, I guess, for 2024. Um, but I, you know, what I've come down to is a lot of people don't have time to to do all the tinkering and things like that. I'm blessed to have my my archery shop about 10 minutes from me, so they mm-hmm. have all the equipment. I haven't had to buy my own like press and arrow saw and things like that yet, and so I just run up there, cut all my stuff, and then I. I tinker here at home with the glue and, and things like that. <laughs> um, the fletchings, you know, I can fletch here at home, but I just recommend to people find something that works for you. Uh, if you're, you know, if you have a slower moving arrow or lesser draw length or uh, lesser draw poundage, fixed head is usually the way to go. And usually some kind of cut on contact head. Um, I mean that my top three fixed heads would probably be iron will. If you can afford them, they're pretty pricey, but to me, they're worth it. Um, so the iron will, uh, the micro Hades from grim reaper is another great one. Uh, mm-hmm. that's more in the affordable range. It's made in the U S it's durable. Um, I've heard good things and then about the them. other one, do I, I've heard good things about those from, from grim reaper. Yeah. And then, and then the other fixed head that I'd recommend is the evolution, um, I always get these mixed up. I think it's Jekyll because he's got the Jekyll and the Hyde. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the Jekyll is like, I always remember this. Dr. Jekyll is the more normal one. So that's the fixed okay. head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Mr. Hyde is the crazy one. And that's the mechanical. So, um, but yeah, so the, those will be the three that I'd recommend. Again, if you can afford it, the Iron Will is a good one. I've not heard amazing things about blood trails with them because it is a two blade fixed head. Um, mm. So, you know, if you're steering, if you can't necessarily afford that, I think it's like a hundred bucks for three, no, 120 for three or something like that. Yeah, and go so. towards the evolution or the, uh, the micro Hades from, from Grim Reaper. For me, like I said, I killed uh, my bull, this guy, with a mechanical at 70 yards. So, and I got a complete pass through and it buried into the dirt, almost half the arrow. So there was plenty of energy with a mechanical to get through and he didn't go 30 yards and piled up. So it was, it was a great, a great shot, which goes down to training and the equipment, knowing my equipment, being confident in that. And then the, you know, being confident in my equipment as far as the mechanical. So for mechanicals, um, again, if you're above 60 pounds 
and you're shooting, you know, within a certain distance, I'm not going to get all technical here, but, you know, I'd say within 50, 60 yards. Um, and if you're shooting higher poundage, maybe go out to 70, like, like the way that I, I did, um, you'll be fine because you'll have enough pressure to punch through with the mechanicals that I would recommend. Uh, they have some kind of cutting tip on the head. It's mm -hmm. not just all about, cause some mechanicals take more pressure to open, right? Which is why they say higher poundage bows or longer draw length is better for mechanicals, uh, because it takes more force to punch through the hide of an elk or a deer with a mechanical, the evolution heads, which I think I'm going to grab one just so I can show them. Yeah, go for it. So these are the, the ones I haven't glued in yet, but the mechanical has a, let's see. So this is the fixed. So this would be the, the, the hide. Okay, sweet. So it's, it's got that, it's like a mini iron wheel on the front there. And then, yeah, I like so that. it's basically, a, it's essentially a four blade. Okay, nice. And then the mechanical one that i recommend has that same head on it so the cool thing about this system too is that you can take the blades out and swap it between mechanical and fixed depending on what you're hunting what you're wanting to do um but here is the mechanical and this isn't the same one i shot the bull with but it's i mean it's the same model so it's got the the head on it so that's going to cut okay. whether the blades open or not that's going to cut yeah, that's nice. yeah and then these blades are a two inch cutting diameter so they fold out backwards <clears throat> so no i like that that's nice yeah and and it's the same with um again i'm going to say grim reaper would be another mechanical that i recommend because they have a chisel tip head so it's going to help push through the hide better and also severs um their severs are durable. They're they're uh, they're made out of titanium, um, so they're again they're durable. They're going to cut through the hide. Uh, so if you're into mechanicals, those were kind of the three that I personally recommend um, that I like. So anyway, I, I've messed around with quite a few other ones. I'm not a huge fan of the two blade fix just because of blood trails, and also. The, the way that people don't think about how like the hide of an animal is literally on top. It's not attached necessarily to mm -hmm. the meat. And so if you have a two blade that opens a hole like that, right. And then the hide shifts. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't get a good blood trail because the hide might shift and cover that up, even though it's bleeding internally and it's still going to get, I mean, some crazy damage to it. it. You won't get as good of a blood trail as if you have a triangle hole like that. And then it may shift a little bit, whatever way it goes, there's still going to be some kind of hole. Right. And so it's just something to think about when you're looking at a two blade versus a three blade. I don't know. There's pros and cons to all of it, but that's kind of what I've boiled it down to what my top three of each category would be. Um, when people ask me, so. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. I think when I first started shooting and I lack of preparation here, uh, I was still in Texas and I was going to be my first hunt and I go into the bow shop and I'm like, I've not shot broadheads ever. <laughs> like I don't, I know <laughs> yeah. I need a broadhead though to put one down or this is never going to work. And so what ended up happening was the one that they recommended was the guy, um, it was one of the rage and I still keep some of them with me to this day. Um, he was like, it's just going to fly like your field tip. It's pretty light. Um, you're shooting pretty close. It's a deer, like 
really don't have to think too much about it right now. Um, and then I move out west to Colorado and elk hunting. And oh my God, I told people I'm shooting a mechanical and hell broke loose. <laughs> like, the whole debate came up of fixed blade versus mechanical. And then like, yeah, when you're in Texas, like people just shoot what they just heard about mm. recently or what the guy in the shop recommended. And, and I don't know. And, and maybe so I never got into those conversations there. I kind of just went with what was recommended to me, but yeah, excuse me. I come out here and yeah, people are just mind blown that I'm shooting a mechanical. And I guess, like you mentioned, if you're, I know plenty of people who do shoot them and they have great success. Like J James does as well. Um, but like you mentioned, I'm a little bit like, I'm not pulling back as much as you are. My draw length isn't as much as you are. And, and that's when, and, and I'm, like you said, women are, are open to the conversations. Like I'm not bought into anyone, at least yet. Anyways, I've not even shot enough broadheads to be bought into one yet. Um, I want to get to that point, but I, I'm not yet. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, tell me, please tell me more, like enlighten me, tell me what I need to be doing so that I can be successful. And more exactly. often than not, they're like, you know, you're not pulling back 70, 80 pounds. And while you could probably probably be successful with the mechanical broadhead, if you want to shoot a little bit further distances, all this stuff, like maybe a fixed blade is something that you could look into and just be open to it, shoot them, you know, see what you like. And like you said, I'm not, I'm not out there enough to be testing different ones on, on every different hunt that I do. That would be a great problem to have, but, but not one that I have at the moment. Um, so mostly I'm going by people's recommendations, like their experience, if they've shot them. So with that being said, yeah, thank you for sharing those. And I've heard about a couple of the ones that you've mentioned, um, more so the mechanical ones that you've mentioned. And I think the, what is the, um, the last broadhead that you mentioned from the fixed ones that was like the Jekyll and so, Hyde. Yeah. So the hot, well, the, the Jekyll. Yeah. So the Jekyll okay. is the fix that I was just showing just now. Now with, with that, you know, the other thing too, I've noticed, and again, I'm not crazy experienced. I don't have decades of hunting under my belt, but from common sense tells me, and my experience tells me that, one don't aim for the shoulder people i don't know why people are obsessed with getting it right in that little pocket of the shoulder like yes that would be ideal you know what actually we're aiming too high if you're trying to kill something super quick you don't want to aim that high you want to aim down near the brisket almost where the heart is and uh -huh. that's not an ideal shot you're wanting to get the best shot possible um with the most probability of hitting two lungs if not the heart along with it. Right. So I don't understand aiming at the shoulder pocket when there's so much lung behind the shoulder. That's like mm -hmm. with your mechanicals, um, you know, when the reason I went with a mechanical on my 70 yard shot was it was bedded. He was quartering to me just slightly. Mm -hmm. And, and it was a, a further shot. So those three reasons for me are why I chose the mechanical because I intentionally aimed further back than the shoulder because when an animal is bedded, their rib cage gets scrunched together. Mm -hmm. Their shoulder is tucked. So there, it's almost like an iron plate right there. <laughs> and so I aimed behind the shoulder. And again, knowing it was going to come out, probably hit some guts because of the way he was quartered to me. Mm -hmm. my, my goal was make as much damage as possible. And so knowing I was aiming purposely behind the shoulder, I was great with hitting a, with a mechanical because it's going to bust through those ribs. It's going to bust through the lungs. It left, like I said, a two inch hole 
all the way through him. And he, he didn't, I mean, he popped up from sleeping and tried to run and at like 20 yards, he just like, like hunched over was like, Oh, like crap, something's wrong. <laughs> and then yeah. and piled up. Right. And, and so there's no reason to aim at the shoulder. The only reason that I keep a fixed in my, in my quiver is for the frontal shot. I don't want to shoot a mechanical on a frontal shot. I'm willing okay. to shoot a frontal shot if they're 20 yards and in. Yep. <clears throat> um, and, and sometimes that happens if you're solo calling, a bull will come into you or a cow or whatever it is that you're hunting mm -hmm. will come into you wondering what you are. I'm okay with that. It's honestly one of the most devastating shots out there. But I trust my gear. I trust my shooting. And I told myself I'm not taking a frontal shot past 20 yards. You know, like that's just my capabilities, right? But I want a fixed head for that because it's got a little bit tougher bone to go through from the mm. front than it would from the side. So, yeah, you know, again, oh, go ahead. I'm having a little bit of um, <laughs> like PTSD from a hunt that I did this year when you talk about the shoulder shot because I did exactly that um, and it was a little bit further away and, and not intentionally. Um, right. It was yeah. due to the deer ducking the string and all of the other factors and that's right where it hit was the shoulder um and it was the first time i've taken a shot on a deer and the deer did not go down and never found it and it hit the shoulder blade and that's exactly what you're saying like i had it i probably would have maybe i guess i i can blame a number of things but at the end of the day that's what it hit right and it didn't go down and i like still learning in every hunt that i do and so i kind of left that like Okay, I know not to aim in that general spot anymore because I don't ever want that to happen again. I don't want to just wound an animal. You, you feel bad when you do that. And, like, hopefully it's still alive and able to get past that. I don't know. We never saw it again. Um, yep. But, yeah, I, I kind of learned in that hunt, like, all right, shoulder area is not a great place to shoot. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I should. I mean, and I guess that it wasn't that I, that was my intention because I know even just penetrating the shoulder blade itself can be challenging too but like you said there is still so the lungs are our vital organs that sit behind the shoulder so aiming in that general area is never bad um and, and i think too the conversation and i've mentioned this in like a previous podcast before but i do a lot of like tack total archery total archery challenge style shooting at 3d targets and i think i personally feel like where the 10 ring is on these targets is not the stuff the spot you should be mm -hmm. shooting on an animal. Mm -hmm. And so I have to remind myself if I don't do it before I draw back at full draw, like this is not a 3d target. This is a real animal and I don't need to be shooting for where that 10 ring is. And I'll be honest with you in that time when I hit that shoulder blade, I put my pen where I would put it on a 3d target. Cause it's just what I had just transitioned from. Yeah. Cause you're, yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's why for me, like I love shooting 3d and doing scores are fun, but, um, I mainly go for kill shots, uh, mm -hmm. whenever we're out there shooting. Right. And, um, I mean, it's fun to, to play games and stuff like that, but I, I would agree that there's, you know, it's, it's within the kill zone, but the dots aren't always the most accurate, especially depending on where the animal is positioned. Um, what I try to do in my head is aim for the exit hole. And so if mm -hmm. they're quartered to you or quartered away from you, quartered away is, in my opinion, the best shot. Um, yeah. Not complete broadside. Quartered away is one of the best shots out there because you're going to get up in that, that 
pump house as uh james would like to call it the yeah. uh, the boiler room but the uh you know that that's the best and that's what i did with my doe this year well she was hard quartered away and um when i aimed she was uphill from me and so i aimed for that exit shoulder which is the far the front left shoulder and my arrow went in just in front of her hind quarter mm-hmm. and so it looked like a gut shot my buddy that was running the camera was like, dude, get another arrow in her, get another arrow. I was like, nah, dude, she's done. And, and she did, she tried to run uphill and toppled back over again. She wasn't 20, 30 yards from where she was shot. And, uh, and we get up to her and sure enough, the arrow was poking through just behind that, that far left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it literally, the arrow had run up her entire, it had hit, unfortunately, one of the tenderloins didn't hit <laughs> any guts. I don't know how I missed all of the guts but it ran up the entire back the entire spine and went out her far side ribs and it was this it was the mechanical head that they make for white tails which is actually two and a half inch cut it's a massive Mm -hmm. hole and um and it busted through the other side the arrow didn't pass all the way through because there was a lot of drag you know going through it but the Mm -hmm. arrow the broadhead was poked through on the other side and uh and, and so that's just kind of, you know, mo- like I said, my buddy that was running the camera thought I'd gut shot her, but it's cause I aimed for the exit, which was her mm-hmm. far left shoulder. And she was so hard quartered away that where it entered was pretty far back. So again, just keep that in mind when you're aiming at targets, people that go out there to attack mountain archery fest, your local mm-hmm. 3d events. Um, I know they throw some, throw some in over at uh, James's place. I don't know what it's called, but you know, your local 3D events as well, like picture the animal, take a moment to picture the animal as a live animal and and aim for the exit. And then when you walk up to the target, see the angle of your arrow, how it went in, where it's exiting. And that's been the biggest tool for me that's been helpful. Um, and if you, if you don't have access to regular 3D targets, I'd recommend saving up for one because it definitely helps to be able to picture anatomically, you know, again, angle the, the target differently every time you shoot it and see how it goes in, where it comes out, you know, what the best aiming spot is, depending on how the animal is quartered to you, quartered away from you, et cetera. Um, because that, that will be a game changer for the way that you aim at a real animal in the field. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. And I've even shot with a couple of buddies who, who say exactly that. Um, I'm shooting, no matter if I'm shooting a 3D target or an animal, I'm going to shoot where I would shoot the vitals or, or where it would be on a real animal. And that, and it took me, yeah, I think doing exactly like I said in my hunt to, to learn that, okay, that makes sense. It, or just know, like you kind of have to know in your brain that when I'm shooting a 3D target, I'm shooting in one place if you're scoring at all. Um, and then if I'm shooting at a live animal, I need to shoot somewhere a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, that's, it's interesting to me, the more that I shoot those, that the 10 ring is not necessarily in the place that it would be in, but even if it's not the full, like 3d target, getting just a broadhead target that has the print of a deer on it. Um, like I have one of those and that was huge for me too. Just knowing like you can picture it and not having to make an imaginary picture in your mind, just shooting at a paper target, you know, kind of exactly where you're shooting, um, every time you do that. So the, you said you carry both a fixed and a mechanical Mm -hmm. and your quiver. Um, 
I'm imagining they're are they the same brand and they in your experience shoot very similarly since you're you have both of them at the same time. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, honestly, I so this last year I carried the Evolution Mechanical. Um, I had let's see, I had I'm trying to think, I had five arrows in my quiver, so I had three mechanicals. I had one fixed, which was this one. That mm -hmm. and this is the the Evolution fixed. That's that four blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking one. And also the way he designs his his blades here and on the mechanical as well is they're meant to be able to bend a little bit rather than be brittle and break. Because mm -hmm. if they bend as they're going through the animal, they're still cutting. Whereas if they mm -hmm. break, they're not on the broadhead anymore. Right. So anyway, um three mechanicals from evolution, one fixed from evolution, and then I had one iron wheel in there. Uh, mm -hmm. And simply because that iron wheel is what I would use on a frontal shot. Yep. Um, it's just yeah. a solid chunk of steel that's going to go through um, the animal. I've got it in single bevel with bleeders. Um, so that's kind of how I run. So two of the three heads that I have in my quiver are the same brand. And then iron wheel is the, I guess, the, the one I keep in the very back just in case I have a frontal. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I don't know, and, and maybe you know others, but I think that's the first I've had a conversation, and I guess I don't ask often anyways, uh, but that you had both a fixed and a mechanical. But like I said, you, you've shot with them. You know you have them for specific reasons or specific purposes, um, and, and you kind of know like what instance you're going to use those in. So I think that's incredibly smart to even have options. Uh, well, we're, we're coming up on the end here. I end every episode asking my guests, what does wild strength mean to you? Um, that could be quite literally something that is like physical related, physical activity related, or you could take it a different direction um, and, and how you, or kind of how do you display wild strength in your life? Um, people have taken it a multitude of directions, um, but feel free to answer how you, how you want to. Man, uh, hold on. I want to give the there's a definition of strength that i love um and i don't want to butcher it let's see okay so strength is the capacity to resist strain or stress uh and and i don't want to spend too much time looking at the actual definition i wanted to use but that's the gist of it it's the ability mm -hmm. to resist strain or stress in your life and so uh some of those may be self-imposed stressors and I think in such the easy life that we have nowadays, um, it's easy to become domesticated. Uh, it really is like to sit back. You could do everything from home. You can order your groceries, have them delivered. You can order your clothes, have them delivered to the point where you could even have them ordered, get them to your house, not pay a thing. And if they don't fit, send them back without having to pay anything. Uh, you can order everything. Every single meal could get delivered to your house. You would never have to leave your home. It's possible. You can do multiple jobs. You can drink all the caffeine in the world and not sleep for four or five days and then sleep all weekend. Like all these things are possible that you don't have to leave. And so the, the idea of wild, I think, has has changed nowadays to where people even thinking that you're going on a hike is a little wild for some people. But mm -hmm. uh, keeping yeah, exactly keeping keeping the idea, though, of being physically active and getting outdoors as much as possible is is what I would consider wild. And then the strength of being able to resist uh, any stress that's happening in your life or strain and backing more away from the mental stressors and strain of, I don't know, debt or uh, 
work, your nine to five, things like that, and putting in good stressors such as, you know, ice bath is something or sauna. Those are mental and physical stressors that you can introduce to your body every single day or multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it doesn't really cost a lot to have to do that, especially during the winter. You can just go outside and sit outside for a little bit, right? Um, you know, things like that, that you, you need to stress your body out to become strong. And, and you want to be able to be strong in those instances where it's needed. Because by the time that your strength is needed, it's too late to build it up. So with wild strength, just getting outside as much as possible, getting as adventurous as you can within your time and your money budget, um, and then also building up your strength on a daily basis, whatever that is for you. If that's mm-hmm. going to the gym and lifting heavier, if that's simply, again, going into the sauna or the, the cold plunge, mm-hmm. if it's going for a ruck, pushing whatever it is that your stressors are and creating some that uh, that your body needs to be able to maintain its, you know, a certain level of strength and get better on a regular basis. So that that's kind of what it would mean for me. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And even the 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 definition that you started with is a quite literal definition that could very much mean just the X's and O's of strength training, but can be applied to all aspects of life. So yeah, I like that definition because it can, yeah, it can be multi-purposed. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's not coming. My words are hard. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan, this has been great. I've appreciated having you on. Where can people find you? Uh, And then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Well, first, I appreciate you inviting me on. And I'm really glad you followed through on this. Uh, I was serious about you being good at this and, and getting your voice out there and, and having guests on that. Um, it's, it's been fun. And I feel like we were just getting started on the conversation. So we might have to do a part two, right? Because yes. <laughs> I didn't we're even get to talk about, we got to talk about first form my... outdoors. Yeah, yeah we got to talk about first form outdoors and everything like that. But uh, with, with that being said, you guys can find me on Instagram is probably the best place. I try and keep my messages answered over there. It's at red.beard.outdoors. Um, my gear channel is redbeard, uh, redbeard underscore gear on Instagram. And then uh, YouTube channel, just redbeard outdoors and on the podcast as well. Same thing, Spotify and Apple redbeard outdoors podcast. All right, that's a wrap on another episode of the Wild Strength Podcast. If you enjoyed that episode, the best way to show your support is first to go and follow the page on Instagram. Uh, I actually did create a TikTok for the podcast now. Um, I'm not the biggest TikTok fan, but it's there and I'm posting. And if that's your jam, go follow it there as well. Um, comment on all of the posts, ask questions, whatever questions you have, um, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, whether that is Spotify podcast or Apple podcast. Um, And lastly, the videos, the full videos for these podcasts are on YouTube. So go subscribe on YouTube as well and comment there. Once again, that is the best way to show your support and I appreciate it a ton.